Hey, hey, folks, I'm Aaron. You're listening to a true crime podcast about the brutal murders that rocked a small town in Idaho in the late. Wait. Wait, our producer is signaling me that we're not a true crime podcast. We're not. How are we supposed to make money? How are we supposed to get picked up on a network? Do any of us even have vocal fry? Well, since we're not doing that, I guess this is uh, the right can't read. I'm joined by someone who isn't a millennial, isn't wearing a sleigh all day then rosé shirt, and probably doesn't have a ring doorbell and have questionable views about black people. Who are you? Respond now while I delete my script and quickly write a new one. I am Robert Sharkey, someone who thought I was being on a true true crime podcast because I wanted to make money, but apparently we're doing something else now. Yeah, this is, uh, you know, this is the problem uh, why I kept rambling that we should never have a producer, but then we went and got a producer and now apparently we're not a true crime podcast because, quote, the market is saturated or, quote, it's unethical. I don't know. Whatever. There, there definitely hasn't been too many true crime podcasts. We need one more group of people profiting off of murder. I think so. Um, we're So, you know, folks, listeners. I know you tuned in thinking this was going to be a true crime podcast, but, uh, you know, hold off on that. Put a pin in it. We're going to come back to that later. We're going to turn this into a true crime podcast. I swear to God. But in the meantime, I have potentially the most important question we will ever ask on this show. Robert, do you like metal? Well, you know, I wish I did. Uh, Oh, that's that's the wrong. The, the, only, the only intersection of metal I've ever gotten into is the one that overlaps with Irish people. That's good. Uh, there's a lot of that. You don't like metal. That's fine. I'm going to quote a, uh, a guy on the internet who got recorded outside of a Man of War concert at, at an undetermined time and the sometimes past. And this this brilliant man said, you motherfuckers who, who don't like Manowar are afraid of yourselves. <laughs> you are afraid of Manowar. <laughs> uh, so if you don't like metal, you're, you're afraid of yourself and of metal. And also possibly the Nazis that listen to metal. We're, get, we're <laughs> going to get into that. Um, now, you may be wondering, is Aaron trying to turn this into a straight up pop culture podcast? Is this son of a bitch trying to stage a coup? Now, as much as I want to turn this into a place from which I can rant about pop culture, that's not what I'm going to talk about today. Now, what I want to talk about is the infatuation of the far right on a scene that is predominantly full of nerds and why this is a problem. Not the nerds, the far right thing. You see, this popped into my mind recently after chat logs leaked into into the public from a Facebook group chat among the members of the relatively popular pirate-themed power metal band Ailstorm. 
These chat logs included some typical machismo posturing that you see from musicians the world over, but also some straight-up horrific racist jokes and comments. These were addressed by at least one member of the band, but it still made me think about how much it really, really sucks when you find out that a member of a band you like is a prick. Then it made me think about how much it sucks when you find that find out that an entire band you like are literal fascists. That, in turn, made me think about how that is a uniquely metal-centric problem, how bands that take their names from Tolkien lore can profoundly miss the point of Lord of the Rings and espouse race hate, or, alternatively, how an entire subgenre, black metal, is, to use the parlance of our times, sus. Is that is that the right term? Uh, am I am I one of the youth? You're definitely one of the youth now. I, I like to imagine the pain with which you wrote that. Uh, There's no pain. It's just nothing but love. Uh, that sentence is probably sus itself. <laughs> now it is, you see, a huge bummer, and I'd like to talk about it with you and our listeners. Maybe along the way, we'll think about how these sorts of things bleed into mainstream culture. Not necessarily metal, because you're probably not going to hear King Diamond, much less much less Gorgoroth or cattle decapitation in a mainstream movie. Uh, but how fascism's syncretic nature means that it pops up in the strangest of places. But before to get into that, before we get into tying this to what we've discussed in past episodes, before we start debating whether or not you can call Mordor a fascist state, we need to talk a little bit about the history of this style of music. Context, as they, Red Eye, say, is king. And a whole lot of what comes out today in the metal genre makes zero sense if you don't know where it comes from. Some sources attribute metal's beginnings to the acid rock genre, with Cream, Iron Butterfly, Steppenwolf, and yes, Led Zeppelin forming the bedrock. Cream was the peak of metal music. Cream was the peak of metal. It, we, we all deep inside as we're in uh, an Amanamarth show in the rowing pit going like, yeah, sing to me about berserkers and shield walls. <laughs> we're really wanting them to start singing Sunshine of Your Love. Yes, Disraeli uh, gear slaps and I don't care that he did something <laughs> horrible to his child. I, he's, it, <laughs> everyone, Everyone's terrible. This yeah. is the lesson that you learn if you do any sort of like reading about any artist or if you've ever googled a thing if you've ever googled a thing you learn that it's terrible and you're probably bad for liking it too yes um especially cream cream is the worst cream are uh, uh i'm not gonna say anymore without a lawyer present second only to ace of base on the list of terribleness that one that one's that one's a weird one. Actual, uh, like, Nazi, ace actual of base guy. nazi ace of base guy uh there was it's and you would think it would be Falco, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but no, Ace of Base, and not even like Kraftwerk. Yeah. And like when I was in high school uh, and middle school, like Rammstein was the one that people were like, "Oh, they're Nazis," and it's like, "Nah, they're they're pretty legit." Like they they've got a song uh, that came out fairly recently called Deutschland, and uh, it's just about the history of Germany and uh, how bad the Nazis were for a good chunk of it and uh no they're good people and no it's it's ace of base ace of base <laughs> it's uh, very strange <laughs> very very strange um now ace of base not led zeppelin 
not cream, not iron butterfly. They're in the eighties and the eighties. Well, there, it should never have happened, but it did. So we have to get over it and just accept that and move on with our lives. Uh, now we can get deep into music theory when we're talking about, you know, acid rock and that, 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 but we're not going to do that. Uh, what we will do is we're going to say that the bands, they were the progenitors and went beyond that. It's largely technical. When you're trying to figure out where metal comes from, you need to go to the roots, rock and roll. If not technically, then spiritually. Rock and roll, as it was originally birthed into the world, was fully counterculture. It stood against the mores of the era in which it operated. It provided an outlet for people with alternate views of life to express themselves outside jazz, which by that time was infested by beatniks. And of course, it was loud. Rock and roll found its avatar in metal and heavy music in the great godhead Lemmy of Motorhead. A Jack Daniels-consuming, pinball-playing, volume enthusiast, Lemmy embodied the spirit of the genre with his James Brown fixation and constant presence on the scene. Indeed, this figure with the Wehrmacht memorabilia and, oh, uh, yeah, right. Oh, uh, oh, yeah, yeah, oh. we're already at the Nazi shit. We're already there. We'll get into the Nazi shit in a little bit, but let's bring this in before I just start rambling at you about it. <laughs> How much I love Motorhead. The whole Wehrmacht thing, it's not great that it, in like mo so the thing about the, like, that's the tagline to the Wehrmacht, not great. Not great. <laughs> the whole thing, not great. Yeah. And I, I Lemmy's whole thing is I'm not even gonna try to do a, an impression of it, but he's like, I just think it looked cool and I like history. And oh, uh, it does look cool. That's the problem. <laughs> I know Motorhead. Yeah, yeah. and it, but you know, it is what are you going to do? It's like, I don't know. Sabaton also gets roped into this stuff because Sabaton, if you don't know, are a power metal band from Sweden and they do a lot of like history stuff and they do stuff about World War II. So Nazis tend to like them, even though one of their albums is an American soldier punching a Nazi in the throat. Uh, there are only two World War II history guys. Choose one. <laughs> Lemmy and the guy from Sabaton. Yeah. <laughs> so it's all complicated. Um, now, in addition to the rock and roll mentality, you have heaviness. This is heaviness both in technical approach and in theme. Most important for metal as a broad uh, genre is theme. You can have a couple of metal bands in a bar that sound nothing alike. Take, for example, Judas Priest and Gorgoroth. Nothing in common, really. And calling them both metal is like saying it's warm out there when the temperature hits 116 degrees. <laughs> uh, if yeah, I'm assuming you don't know who Gorgoroth are. No, but I do know Judas Priest. So, hey, there you go. So Gorgoroth are a uh, black metal band. I think they were one of the uh, the one of the bands that came out of the uh, the first wave of Nor of Norwegian black metal. Um, very like they they pushed like the we worship satan we like blood thing a lot uh and one of the lead the lead singer for a while of the band a guy named gall uh is a very tall intimidating looking man who was once arrested and tried for uh all right full story he got uh he was being harassed by the locals in his town so he uh kidnapped one of them tied him up in his in his house and <laughs> bled him for about six, eight, eight days i think and then let him go 
<laughs> and, that's uh, awesome i love that chain of thought like ah they'll never make fun of me now <laughs> yeah i think it, it generally stopped after he started just <laughs> kidnapping people and bleeding them so now he does uh like just kind of he does he makes art uh he's touring with a couple other bands uh there's a very weird interview from like 2009 i think with uh some vice journalists who go to talk to Gaul, and uh, it's it's something. <laughs> <laughs> so, what I'm when I talk about heaviness, I refer to stuff that's at the core of the genre: the occult, dark fantasy, horror, weird shit in general. I'm a, I am of the camp that the first metal band was Black Sabbath. Ozzy Osbourne, Tony Iommi, and the other members of the band did more to define the genre than anyone else. Heaviness of Led Zeppelin songs and their sometimes nods towards Tolkien aside. You see, Sabbath's first ab- album, titled Black Sabbath, with the song Black Sabbath, they may have been boundary breakers, but they weren't particularly original, contained the seeds that grew into the massive genre we have today. While the album Black Sabbath is slow, down-tuned, and bears little to no resemblance to subgenres like thrash metal, it does contain two important elements. One, fixation on the occult with, as famed music critic Lester Bangs put it, uh, quote, doggerel tribute to Aleister Crowley, and two, themes across the board of, quote, the unpleasantness of reality with its wars, political corruption, environmental destruction, crime and punishment, substance abuse, mental illness, and death. Or, in the words of a blog called Music is a Journey, the counterpoints to, quote, the hippie idealisms of universal love and peace. These two elements, occultism and taking a look at the bleaker aspects of life, are of massive importance to the genre. Without those two things, you just have Iron Butterfly. But with those two things, you have the seeds for future groups like Venom, Sleep, Megadeth, Gojira, and so many more. The other important component of metal is frequently speed. In genres that are not Doom, Stoner, or Sludge, You'll run into terms like blast beats or thrash or any number of other terms that I'm too lazy to think of right now. The guy who names metal genres the same guy who names weed strain. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's exactly true for the uh, the stoner and sludge metal. Yeah, genres. Sludge metal. There's uh, so like one of my favorite bands, Mastodon, uh, veers pretty heavily into like the the progressive metal and stoner and sludge territories a lot and uh their drummer has a weird clown fixation so like his his drum kit on stage has a bunch of clowns dangling from it <laughs> uh, i love it it's just it's, this this it's fantastic uh so this is where metal has some overlap with the 70s punk scene and why groups like motorhead get claimed by both punks and moat and metalheads if you want to steer clear of that sort of conversation, though, you can take a look at groups like UK's Saxon and Judas Priest. As artist Preston Cram puts it, they embraced a more upbeat, rollicking sound driven by power chords, invigorating, invigorating guitar solos, and catchy vocal hooks all packed into accessible pop song structures. And I want to want to make a quick note about when, when you hear pop structures in context of metal that's just referring to stuff that's not 15 minutes long with uh (laughs) seven minutes guitar solos (laughs) accessible to people who don't want to have their ears bleed 
Yeah, uh, it, you know, it's it's one of the reasons that Judas Priest is kind of the, the one of the bands that you're going to find in like every dive bar jukebox because mm. it's pretty catchy. And then like Electric Eye is a really awesome, awesome song. Uh, good stuff. Uh, but what we need to focus on again is why Nazis invade the scene and pump out tripe like National Socialist black metal. After all, they probably are not excited that Rob Halford of Judas Priest is an out gay man who cleans bondage gear while imploring people to stay at home and adhere to quarantine mandates. <laughs> it's a fantastic video near the start of the COVID uh, plague uh, that everyone should watch. Just Rob Halford delivering a great monologue about the importance of hygiene and being courteous to one another as he's cleaning whips and ball gags and everything else. I assume a gimp suit would help you not get COVID if you were to the supermarket. Just a suggestion to the Yeah, listeners. and it would probably be easy to clean. Yeah, just yeah. soak it. Yeah. Yeah. Do it. Do it. Listeners, that's, that's, go out. Yeah, yeah go out. <laughs> go out. Get your gimp suits. Go to the supermarket. Especially if you live in rural Oklahoma or Texas. Especially if you live in rural Oklahoma or Texas. Uh, but so let's 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 figure out or try to why they do invade in metal. We have a cult fixation. We have speed. We have counterculture. Pair that with the late 70s predilection for stuff like punk bands sporting swastikas. And you have a perfect storm ready for Nazis to try and make it. Both punk and metal have aggressive music, which yields stuff like mosh pits, which often, sadly, turn into opportunities for roid-ridden douchebags to beat the shit out of smaller people before the crowd turns on them. And who, I ask you, loves aggro more than the right wing? And further, who loves weird occult shit like the extreme right, who gives us stuff like the Q Shaman, and keep in even weirder shit like Theosophy alive? Oh, fuck. I met, oh god, I met an actual honest-to-god theosophist the other day. You live in a strange, horrifying place. Luke actually told me that climate change was going to be fine if we all changed our vibes, man. Did they get into, like, ley lines or anything? Or did, oh, it, did it not go that far? I'm sure just... they did. It's a, yeah. it's a member of... <laughs> It's a it's a member of extended family, so I couldn't be like, so what about Rudolf Steiner? <laughs> <laughs> but they That's, did talk about coward. you coward. <laughs> I didn't ask them about why if they actually talked to angels like they claimed. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, uh, we're we're gonna get into it in a little bit, but like all all that weird French stuff, like Thule, hell yeah, and Hyperborea, and uh, all that stuff is crazy. There there was a great video. It's probably still on YouTube because YouTube is YouTube. Yep. Uh, years ago, back when I thought it, uh, conspiracy theories were harmless and it would never turn into. Uh, <laughs> what we have today of a group that was ripping off uh, a video game critic collective called uh, and the, the video game collective is like uh, extra credits. Mm -hmm. And so they were ripping off their style down to the animation and the presentation and they were called like spirit science or something like that. And they did this two hour long video about like the truth of Atlantis oh, as spoken by Thoth 
and uh, how Jews were originally Martian. Hell oh, yeah. <laughs> it's uh, all comes back to Nazis. All I comes back to Nazis. A naive fool to think that it was fun at one point. I fucking miss the days when I could just believe the federal government assassinated John F. Kennedy and no one asked <laughs> me any further questions. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's just entry level. My mom's boyfriend believes that that the, and he, he's, ah, yeah, no, no, all right, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> now everyone looks at you weird when you say yeah. the Joint Chiefs of Staff killed a sitting president. <laughs> Fucking people, QAnon, right? ruined everything. Just ruined everything. You can't have fun anymore. You can't go, oh, hey, look at this three hour long video about how there were nukes deployed in 1812. <laughs> and all mountains were actually giant trees. Now you can't even have fun with that anymore. Yeah. I really blame Alex Jones. He ruined conspiracy theories. It's definitely. Uh, maybe that's something that we should do as a future episode. Oh, about how the right ruined conspiracy theories? <laughs> how the right cons- ruined conspiracy theories. <laughs> Hell yes. Conspiracy <laughs> theories used to be some iconic left-wing shit. Like, you had the <laughs> protocols in the, of the Elders of Zion. And, like, a few other real bummer ones. <laughs> Capital is just a rant about how rich people are constantly trying to fuck you on purpose. <laughs> yeah. Now it's all ruined. Yeah. But you know um, what's not ruined? The protocols of the elders of Zion. Well, no, that uh, well, I guess it can't be ruined if it was already ruined already. Now metal music isn't metal ruined. Music. Uh, yep. Somehow. Um, now to to avoid this becoming an exhaustive history of the metal genre. Uh, you're welcome. We're going to <laughs> thankfully pretend like most of the 80s never existed. We're going to skip ahead to the late 80s and uh, the 90s and talk about how the occultism of Black Sabbath became a huge part of the more extreme metal edges of the genre, created even broader inroads for the hard right to infest the scene, and how alongside this, those extreme elements turned from counterculture to counter subculture. At the forefront, I have to be absolutely clear Metal is an overwhelmingly white genre. There are exceptions, but they are exceptions. The reasons why this is the case are it's hard to break down. But Lena Dawes, journalist and author of a really good book about the scene called What Are You Doing Here? A Black Woman's Life and Liberation in Heavy Metal, puts it one way that I like a lot. Quoting, in some ways, it's a self-perpetuating thing. Uh, there's still this resistance because it's loud and angry and aggressive and not everyone wants to listen to it. And there's this stereotype where people see heavy metal as a, as being a bastion of racism. They see the people who are listening and playing the music as being the same people who threaten to beat them up on the street. There are a lot of stereotypes that hinder active participation. Uh, now, before we go further, I want to mention that you should read the book. It's really good. It's a good look into a niche scene from an even more niche perspective. And even though it's about heavy metal, it's excellent food for thought uh, for how so many scenes, regardless of the media content, become self-segregating. You can take a look at the lineups of the overwhelming number of metal bands and see a sea of pasty white nerds, but very few people of color. As Dawes gets at above, it's hard to engage with the genre when you don't see people like you on stage. There is, further, an issue of there being a lot of questionable stuff out there. Take, for example, one of my favorite people in history, Lemmy. All of that Wehrmacht stuff that we mentioned earlier, it's hard to get past. 
even when you hear him talk about it in interviews, the stuff that he just likes to collect as a weird history nerd. Though it is, again, something that's hard to get behind or defend. The guy liked war stuff, and okay, not great, but there you go. It gets harder to justify the further into heavy and extreme metal you go. Much like how a lot of punk has, at least for a significant chunk of the genre's history, depended on being controversial as part of the whole vibe of the scene, so too has metal relied on shock. And I don't mean the sort of stuff that your dad refers to as shock rock. Just <laughs> Alice Cooper. Uh, no, the early black metal scenes ethos can fairly easily be summed up by a quote from John Waters' Pink Flamingo as, Kill everyone now! Condone first-degree murder! Advocate cannibalism! Eat shit! Filth are my politics! Filth is my life! Some of the adherents of the Norwegian black metal scene have walked back their comments as attempts to fully embrace being, uh, quote, the most hated band in the world. A title that apparently many of the bands in the scene were vying for by torching churches, murdering gay men, and attacking black people in Scandinavia in the 90s. Uh, okay, I'm about, to, I'm about to do a little bit of a reach here and um, bring up my horrible godforsaken classics education. Okay. Um, one of my favorite arguments I've ever heard was when the French Revolution happened, the Marquis du Sade said that it could only ever truly be a democratic revolution if we abandoned morality as a concept. And I think, is that, is it, could there be like a similar thing going on? I've just always no. thought about that whenever I think about art. You're, you're, you're giving people too much credit. Too much uh, credit. This, this is it. There, there are a lot of like, there are a lot of perspectives about why the Norwegian black metal scene went into that. Um, I think it, there are some bands that that applies to, I think like Guar for all of its schlockiness that applies to, I mean, they, they formed when they were a bunch of art students mm. and uh, so there are some bands that that applies to, but from everything that I know about it, like the, the, the Trindarwegian black metal scene <laughs> was like really just a bunch of very upset <clears throat> middle-class teenagers in a wealthy uh, society that just, I don't decided that they wanted to like embrace their weird pagan roots. And we're going to get into that a lot when we start talking about a guy who uh, records as Burzum. But uh, I, I think, you know, that's a good point. And I think like John Waters, yes. Yeah. Uh, abandoning morality to make art uh, yeah. is very much his thing. And turning that into commentary about society and like everything with divine is a very hard thing to watch. Yeah. It's all like fun, but it's also I'd like, I like I turned on uh, Pink Flamingos one day. So I was like, yeah, it was it was like Saturday morning and I had nothing planned. I was like, yeah, just throw this on. And like the the first scene with uh, the woman in in the, the crib in her underwear screeching about eggs. I was like, no, this is <laughs> can't, can't do it. <laughs> not not today. <laughs> so they're not like flirting with that Marquis du Sade, John Waters, Eric Andre line. Some of them are. But I think but that's more of a modern thing. Mm. Um, and I, I don't, I, again, I don't think that that applies to the early mm. true Norwegian black metal scene with like mayhem mm. and uh, 
emperor and yeah. fans like that. But I, you know, I, I would be happy to entertain arguments to the contrary, because I think that's like an interesting argument. Yeah. And um, I would like to think that these guys were not all just pure fucking evil. <laughs> uh, and I mean, there are indications that at least some of them were not, and some of them were doing that. But it's like when, when you're in a when you're in a when you're at a party and people start killing each other and you don't stop it, then you know you're you're kind of culpable. Yeah, <clears throat> it happens to me all the time. Yeah, I'm a coward. I don't stop them. That's that's all that redacted is. It's just that's all that redacted each other is, at parties. Is, yeah, anytime it's like the reverse of a minion in Judaism, where if there are <laughs> ten or more people together, you have to start murdering each other. Yeah, uh, it's it, it's bad, uh, but you know it keeps the rent real low. <laughs> Redacted, famous for low rent as well. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, so yeah, I mean to that point, like the 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 most hated band in the world line. You can attribute that to several different ba different bands, and it, I don't. My read is that it's not art that they're going for; it's uh, that they were just trying to outdo each other in this uh, scene of angry teenagers. Uh, so you know, they burned some churches, they murdered people, uh, they attacked others. Uh, with all of that, it is really damn hard to get past uh, all of that, and their typically liberal use of the n-word vitriolic anti-semitic statements and still touring bands like dark throne printing stuff like the following on their album covers quote if any man should attempt to criticize this lp he should be thoroughly patronized for his obviously jewish behavior now it should be noted that the member of dark throne who put that on the lp has since recant recanted and is by all accounts a stand-up individual who is a profoundly stupid edgelord in his teenage years. So modern-day Dark Throne, probably not Nazis. Now, but, with all but of, they did award criticism to the Jews. They did. Uh, so congrats! All criticism is yes, now now. That's that's us. The purview of Jewish people. We created criticism. It's, uh, <laughs> there is a. A joke floating around on Twitter a while ago that I liked a lot that was talking about conspiracy theories about the Talmud. And it was like, people who have these conspiracy theories about the Talmud don't realize that it's just a bunch of rabbis arguing over centuries because one guy centuries back insulted another guy's rooster. <laughs> <laughs> and from there came rabbinic Judaism. This is why I find it hard to find a good synagogue in redacted. Uh, anyway... <laughs> <laughs> so with all of that in mind it's not particularly difficult to understand why extreme metal an umbrella term that is typically used to refer to metal subgenres that diverge from popular music theory like the pop structures pop structures we were talking about earlier and typically use screaming or growling vocals uh it's not particularly difficult to understand why all of this is at risk of attracting a nazi crowd it is by and large very aggressive music its early developers at least flirted with extreme right-wing ideology. There are ties to esoteric mysticism, frequently tied to the more fringe elements of white nationalism, courtesy of Black Sabbath's all-pervading influence of metal. Uh, it violently rejects the mainstream and everything from aesthetics to sound, and lastly, by being so exclusionary by bent of embracing all of the above, extreme metal has an overwhelmingly white audience. 
Further, you may recall that we briefly talked about metal festivals in our, in our MMA episode. You remember how that was used as a recruiting tool for a lot of these festivals, how these festivals that are you know, MMA and uh, white power have medical metal concerts? Well, that's important to keep in mind because this stuff works like a virus. No one starts off throwing out a sigil as their first words. Instead, people are chipped away at by surrounding forces. It may be edgy humor gone too far. It might be your truly basement-dwelling guildmate on World of Warcraft. It might be a measured-sounding YouTuber talking about cultural Marxism. It might be that cool-sounding band that has some questionable lyrics, but hey, no one's perfect all the time, right? Slowly, you find yourself more and more ingrained in these circles until sometimes by the time you realize what's happening, it's too late. Music is an incre incredibly effective recruiting tool for any political persuasion. Consider Rage Against the Machine. Whomst among us on the left did not get their start listening to Rage Against the Machine? Whomst among us doesn't look at Paul Ryan saying he loves Rage Against the Machine and scoff? <laughs> Music is one of those things that is so baseline mm -hmm. human that it's impossible, almost, uh, almost impossible, to not be into. I've met people who are not into music. They listen to static, and it is deeply disturbing to me. That is odd. That's some, that's some like real horror movie shit. It, it is. It is. <laughs> uh, by using music to send a message, you tap into a primal part of every person. It's that primal messaging, how mov movements use music and lyrics and their broader posturing as bands that we'll get to in uh, part two of this little series. We'll be touching on the Norwegian black metal scene as typified by Vard Vikerns, looking at the rise of apolitical music and what that is nearly without fail, or sorry, how that is nearly without fail, a dog whistle for Nazis, and wondering why, again, it is that these motherfuckers love the same kind of music that I do. Then we'll take a look at what movements exist to counter these sons of bitches. But first, I'm going to give you a couple of quotes. The first comes from a statement that the relatively mainstream metal band Sodom put out to defend their choice to play a festival in Finland that is absolutely riddled with Nazi bands. And again, I want you to remember that they put this out to defend their choice to play alongside Nazis. So, Robert, I, I hope you're going to take notes here because <laughs> there's a lot in here and it's it's gonna it, you're going to have a tally going. <laughs> So to quote the statement, hey, pals, to get it right up front, once again, we distance ourselves from bands that abuse their musical platform to express their political views, rather, whether right or left, to the outside world. Uh, but we, that, <laughs> get worse, <laughs> but we stand for freedom of expression for everyone, uh, and we won't, <laughs> won't let that talk us to death. When the Steelfest promoter booked the show with us at the end of 2019, these supporting acts, the Nazis, and the billing, uh, billing, I guess, just refers to who was on the, the flyer with them, were not even up for discussion. So we have a valid guest performance contract. We are currently clarifying the legal situation. We generally perform on behalf of ourselves and our fans and not for the other bands. The politically correct bands, whatever that means, are in the majority at Steelfest. Will they cancel their performances? We will definitely talk to the organizer again about the situation and will form our own judgment. We can't always please everyone. 
and we don't want that at all. But if we have to bow to some kind of political pressure every time, then we artists and musicians can soon quit our jobs. And after 40 years in this exciting business, I don't need any instructions about what to do or not. We have a strong fan base in Finland, and many are happy to see Sodom again after receiving a special set list exclusively. After this long, dry spell, we are, of course, happy to be playing in Finland again. This is our job, our passion. That's what we are living for. We won't let, uh, let that talk us to death either and decide for ourselves. That, that is what they wrote. That's a sentence. <laughs> that is a sentence. Uh, yep. Uh, we will, of course, keep you up to date on the current state of affairs. But don't forget, Sodom stands for pre- freedom peace justice and democracy that's all that counts cheers so i lost track of how many groans i got from you on that one uh it's in the double digits i think well well listen here Aaron. i'm really moved by their argument that at least 51 percent of the other bands think jews are people (laughs) i thought that was a really great point (laughs) by them really uh political theorists Sodom, oh, right yeah. um now i i will say uh this this had this whole thing had me deeply worried not because i like sodom i i don't they're fine i guess uh but another band i really like called havu krunu which is like one of the uh weirdest black metal bands because they sound more like you know fun power metal than anything else uh we're also playing this show and i was like oh god are they nazis and uh <laughs> It took them a little bit, but they they put out a statement that was like, we're withdrawing from this this festival because there are Nazis there. We didn't nice. know that there were Nazis there. This sucks for us because we wanted to play and we had a contract, but yeah. So they're also signed to a label that has uh, a strict no Nazi policy. So good on them. Uh, but we're going to, you know, so keep keep that whole statement in mind because uh, in part two we're going to go into that whole apolitical thing that sodom we're trying to get into and why that's problematic but uh yeah so like what what do you think are you now a fan of uh peace and justice loving band sodom oh yeah definitely um would you call can... yourself a sodomite <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. If, if yeah. their fans don't call themselves sodomites, yeah. they're really missing out. Tragic <laughs> misbranding of the case. Yeah. Just like, oh, God. It's just like, <laughs> why? So you have one group of people who's like, we're going to beat the shit out of you and murder you. And you have another group of people who's like, please don't let them do that. And then yeah. you're like, who could say? <laughs> let's let them all talk about it yeah yeah it's uh it's a fun one and uh i i it it, every time you see this crop up in in cultural circles you should start getting concerned about what what kind of stuff you're you're supporting with your your money or your time yeah and there's like an inevitability to that approach that is i remember like four or five years ago when he first got the podcast i was talking to all my friends and i was like joe rogan is gonna destroy america and and they were like there's no way the fear factor guy is gonna ruin media and i was like yes he will 
He just takes yeah. anyone on his show and he has no opinion and it's going to be horrible. Yep. And like it, it, there's like a gravity well on the far right that just pulls in all people who aren't trying to swim against the stream. I'm like, yep. if you played a bunch of Nazi festivals, you become a Nazi eventually. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, it's bad. Um, so there's, there's another, another quote I want to get to before we wrap up that yeah, it's going to get into uh, a little bit of a similar thing. This comes from an article on the site, uh, the toilet of hell. And, and uh, now um, that is great brand. That's that's great branding. And the uh, the the word of is spelled with a V, so you know it's metal. Uh, the article gives a recap of a whole slew of articles expressing shock that the members of the band Slayer, whose fans have a disturbingly Nazi adjacent merch fetish, and are best known for doing coke in a stadium bathroom before going out and trying to kill each other in a mosh pit, uh, are Trump supporters. Quote. The news came in breathless from every major music outlet across the earth. Tom Araya posted a poorly photoshopped image of Donald Trump onto an ancient Slayer promo pic to Instagram, accidentally deleted it because he's an old person who is not good at computers, denigrated snowflakes for taking offense to the image, left a shitty homophobic joke, and then the band attempted to walk back the whole thing with a non-apology. Go back to 1994 and listen to Slayer's Divine Intervention. Track four is a little ditty called Ditto Head, a tribute to Carrie King's perceived lack of justice in America. For those unfamiliar, Ditto Head was a slang term briefly used in the 90s to describe fans of extreme right-wing radio show host Rush Limbaugh. Slayer dropped Undisputed Attitude, a collection of cover songs uh, included was a cover of Minor Threats Guilty of Being White, a song Ian McKay wrote as a teenager about being on the receiving end of a racially motivated ass beating. Slayer's cover changed the lyrics on the last chorus from guilty to being guilty of being white to guilty of being right, which kind of just takes a big old shit in the punch bowl for the song's original intent. The band explained that they thought racism was ridiculous at the time. We asked these four white guys. (laughs) For decades, Slayer have printed the iconography of Nazi German Wehrmacht on every scrap of their merchandise to market their brand with a ruthlessness that rivals the masters of selling out Kiss. Uh, uh, Gene Simmons of Kiss is a big old shithead. Uh, Just saying that motherfucking shithead who is really a big fan of suing people so we'll see what happens uh so now the slayer thing is important because well they're slayer and they're massive the iconography right-wing beliefs all of that play into uh into an embrace of a genre that is aggressively countercultural, aggressively loud and unlike punk still has a big fucking hill to climb with addressing this stuff so my question to you is have I scared you away from listening to metal yet? I mean, not baby metal. No, baby metal is terrible. The I, only pure genre no, of metal. No, baby metal is the... Oh, God. <laughs> that... Oh! <laughs> <laughs> baby metal, for those of you who don't know, is a uh, a band that marries death metal with J-pop. And I hate it. I think uh, we I, were talking on Signal one time and you mentioned the baby metal and I was like, what is that? And you no, 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 because you you texted me and you were like, 
is baby metal antifa or something like that because i apparently oh, like yeah the, it was trending the, on twitter yeah like the feds were asking if <laughs> that or something yep and uh, oh i was in a uh, metal bar in kyoto a couple of years ago and it was a very small place uh the owner was a really friendly dude uh who let me put on mastodon for a couple hours and uh i when i got in there i was like yeah what what kind of bands should i check out from japan so he gave me a list and then i was like what do you think about uh baby metal and he just gave me these big two thumbs down (laughs) with the look that he just (laughs) ate like a really bad sour lemon baby metals never hurt anyone aaron it's just the only genre of metal i'm sure there's no nazis in baby metal it's probably true that's that is probably true that's your instead of listening to baby metal go listen to galnerius galnerius is awesome and they're 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 also japanese that's that's a pivot you can make i'm just saying it is you can make the pivot into something nazi free a whole music genre a whole music genre consisting of one band (laughs) <laughs> which is really when you get down to it the most metal thing you could do uh nope i googled it what <laughs> would you oh no what are they nazis oh they just use a bunch of nazi imagery okay well which is that 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 there you go <laughs> everything gets ruined everything gets ruined uh-huh back to the theme of the episode and really the whole show if you ever google anything stop <laughs> cut off your internet yeah read nothing but uh peter kropotkin the only yep there we true, go the true That's, holy man everyone else is a lib yeah everyone is a lib but kropotkin <laughs> uh he'd, so he'd have made oh, some I, great metal music big old beard what that would have been like from russia yeah dostoevsky themed metal oh my god there you go. Those guys really were born generations too early. Absolutely. That was their calling. They're also mm-hmm. fucking edgy and they love writing things that are <laughs> at minimum a thousand words too long. <laughs> they would have just fucking loved to pump yeah. out 22 minute songs about nothing into the Russian winter. <laughs> Fyodor Dostoevsky, everyone's favorite sludge metal. Yes. <laughs> would have been fucking awesome. Yep. And I would have never had to read Brothers K in college. Well, it would have just been a concept album. Yeah. It it would have been Mastodon's uh, Crack the Sky, except like toned down a couple of octaves and uh, about three times as long. Now, I think that would, if all those like sad Russian men, if like Chekhov had just (laughs) been a metal musician, I could have liked him. Yeah. I just got like really high in a dorm room and someone put it on. It would actually be enjoyable. Yeah. <laughs> Instead of the rest yeah. of Chekhov. I found out the other day that um the Iowa Writers Workshop was started Terrible. by the FBI. You what? It was started by the FBI. <laughs> I did not know that. Yeah, and it made so much sense to me about like all those writing MFA programs that um so they there was like an influx wow. of like Russian and European literature in America at the time. Yeah. And they were like, this is all some commie foreign shit. 
these people aren't even white. They're from Hungary. <laughs> oh, like my family. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah. These are these are Slavs. And so, <laughs> and so they've started the Iowa Writers Workshop using a former, like, high up in the FBI who was the first dean of the school. Shit. I did not know that. Trying to create, like, a uniquely American form of literary well, fiction. They chose the right place for it. Yes, they did. Yeah, I'm amazed that Vonnegut taught there. Did he really? Yeah. Taught there for not a not a long time, I don't think, but he taught there. Yeah. Yeah. Wolf. Yeah, they started it as a propaganda move. That's fucking insane. God, that explains so much about American literary fiction, though. It made so much, like, all clicked Holy. into place for me after that. I just took the red pill. Yeah. <laughs> Oh my god. This was the same period of time when they were literally following Ernest Hemingway and plotting to kill him. Ah, <laughs> uh, the classic FBI, not mm. the watered down garbage we have today. No. Fuck. You've heard that story about Hemingway, right? I think I've heard like the Cliff Notes version. Oh yeah. He kept telling people he was being followed by the government and everyone thought he was crazy, and then he was being followed by the government. Wow. Fucking God. insane. Yep. So the FBI's roots in American, modern American literary fiction. They created made, all of it. That makes so much fucking sense. <laughs> yep. I, I only wish that I could do a better job of keeping a straight face when writing sad New England literature. <laughs> yeah. I can't. I'm like You'll, 25. I'm like 25 pages in and trying to fight the urge <laughs> to just bring in the woods wizard. <laughs> That's because you can feel the influence of J. Edgar Hoover and it's rotting <laughs> your soul from the inside out. <laughs> Jonathan Franzen makes so much sense now. Yeah. Yeah. Just that dull minded son of a bitch. I don't understand Jonathan Franzen. Just NPR literature. He's it's just like the 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 uh, uh, years ago I heard a segment about like how they were they were talking and hushed tones about the very difficult process of making olive oil yeah, and how it brings out really the, the lush flavors, depending on where the olives come. And I, I heard this and I was in my friend's car and he just kept turning up the volume to torture me and it sticks in my head now, like 10 years after the fact, I just think of that and it's just that Jonathan Franzen, Margaret Atwood, who people like because of the TV series, but they've never read her writing because it's boring as shit. <sighs> well, that was in my head when you in the last episode talked about people who listen to TV static being bizarre. <laughs> in my head, I was like, well, it's still better than NPR. <laughs> yeah, I there was one morning. Uh I I get I get up very early and I get up early to do my writing about Woods Wizards. And and the like, <laughs> and I was uh, eating breakfast, and uh, there was a. Uh, I put it on the local NPR station, and there was a story about. I think it was um, qualified immunity, and it's like just you know them outlining why it's a problem, and then they cut to a like a, a fucking ad for like isn't it terrible like for the the what what's wait wait don't tell me bullshit show oh hell yeah. <laughs> terrible when you step on your dog's tail and like hi 
can it? You, you gotta go from like very important shit to that, and I'm like, ah, oh, and that's why I never. I, that's the last time I have listened to NPR. I just listen to the jazz station now. And you know what else I listen to? Metal music. Metal music. My la- my last NPR tirade is if you want to stop anyone from playing NPR in a car near you, I can guarantee this works because I do it myself. The people who are talking like this and that very soothing sort of NPR voice, you look at the person who put NPR on on the radio and you start doing dirty talk in this (laughs) NPR voice, mimicking both of the people who are talking. (laughs) If you just say the nastiest shit in the whole world in this sort of smooth radio sound. That goes right off. (laughs) Yeah, people will change it every time. So that listeners, that's that's the takeaway. Yeah, that's 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 my helpful tip. Yeah, if you take one thing away from our entire series, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's good. That's good. But metal music. But metal music. Uh (laughs) when we last left off, I gave you and our listeners a big old info dump about metal's history and hinted at why the genre is sadly a breeding ground for Nazis' reprehensible ideologies, despite being filled with nerds, queer folk, and people who insist that they're apolitical. Does that last one strike you? Strike a nerve with you? Every time. Yeah, I, I have followed the, Ted Wheeler on Twitter. The, the claims that someone's apolitical. Wait, yeah. hold on. Ted Wheeler has said that he's apolitical? I think he said that policing is apolitical at oh, one point. Oh, fuck off. That's stupid as shit. That motherfucker, that <laughs> bastard. Jesus. God damn it. So that's a dog whistle. Yeah. <laughs> you know what happens with dog whistles? Uh, it's a word that makes me apparently sit very close to my webcam and just laying out expletives, scaring my dog who goes into his, his crate. <sighs> Does that remind you of people uh, like Ted Wheeler or Sam Harris or Joe Rogan, Jordan Balthazar Peterson, literal Nazi war criminal, criminal Werner von Braun? Well, that's because you're a person like me who has a finely tuned radar for Nazi shit. To know why a host of miscreants claim to be apolitical, we have to go to certified rat bastard Julius Evola. I rediscovered Evola through an article published by a guy whose name I am going to slaughter, and I apologize. I think it's Anton Shkovstov. Uh, he's a fault. If he if he had planned correctly, he wouldn't have that many consonants it's, in his name. It's a lot of consonants, <laughs> and it's not in the way that I'm familiar with. <laughs> They're all front loaded. Uh, <laughs> so. He's a policy expert focusing on European right-wing movements. The article that I'm, I'm referring to is titled Apolitic Music, uh, Neo-Folk, Martial Industrial, and Metapolitical Fascism. It is focused on, as the label says, neo-folk and martial industrial music. Think whispery guitars with maybe some synth for neo-folk. And then uh, for martial industrial music, think right-wing Rammstein. Despite not being explicitly focused on metal, the article has a lot of a pleasant, a lot of lessons that apply. Uh, to wit, he says of Avola, Avola writes that a fascist should practice disinterest, detachment from everything that today constitutes politics, and this was exactly the principle that Evola called apolitia. While apolitia does not necessarily imply abstention from socio-political activities, 
an apolitical individual, a quote, aristocrat of the soul, to cite the subtitle of the English translation of Cabracare de Tigre, should always embody his, quote, irrevocable internal distance from this modern society and its values. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm just apolitical. I'm not left or right. I'm just yeah. like looking for some, let's call it a third, third way. way. Exactly. That's what we're trying to find is a <laughs> yeah. third way. Beyond modern politics. Yeah, a a a final solution to these <laughs> questions. That's what we're looking for. Uh in other words, Vola is saying that a fascist should break away from modernity, hold himself, and it is always nearly a him above modernity, and not debase himself in by taking part in party politics, but he should still advocate for upending society. A good fascist, after all, believes in actions, action for action's sake, and ultimately that boils down to power. Thus, a politicalness, especially as it ties to music, is an attempt to gain a foothold in culture, or as Zhukovstov puts it, Metapolitical fascism focuses almost exclusively on the battle from hearts and minds rather than for immediate political power. Think for a moment about everything we've been talking about in this podcast. The need for these groups to gain a foothold in culture in whatever way possible through fight club, through co-opting martial arts, through appealing to religious sensibilities. Fascist theorizers from the very start have known that political struggle is a struggle of propaganda and getting people to your side. Their view is one of violence, of strength, and of power. Is it any surprise, then, that the extreme right chooses to go after the forms of media that it does? But going back to uh, Shikovstov, he writes in uh, continuing to describe the aesthetics of the apolitical fascist music labels, they abandon overt fascist ultranationalism in the name uh, in the name of a Europe restored to the essentially mythic homogeneity of its component primordial cultures. We'll get into this heavily when we discuss one of the guys who really brought this mentality to the forefront. But before we do, we have to tie that back to fascism. Shikovstov does the work for us. He points to another fascist writer, Ernst Jünger, who in a series of books argues that Europe must retreat into the forest. This does not mean becoming Luddites. Rather, it means returning to Shikovstov's essentially myth- mythic homogeneity of its component primordial cultures. And that element right there brings us to National Socialist Black Metal and the guy who I think is one of the fellows cheaply responsible for its spread. Varg Vikerns, best known as Burzum. Uh, I'm going to break here from my script for a moment, and I'm going to suggest uh, that you... And our listeners, listen, watch a movie called Lords of Chaos. Uh, it's relatively recent, and it's about the band of mayhem from which uh, Vikerns kind of gained no, notor- notoriety. Uh, it stars, I can't remember his name, but Macaulay Culkin's brother. Hmm. And uh, it's, you know, it's all right, but it, it's a, uh, it's a, it's a, as, fun as it can be a, a fun introduction to the scene and uh kind of gets you into learning about this and then you can kind of jump into other things like that vice uh interview with gall that i talked about in the first episode here uh but varg vikerns was born as christian vikerns in 1973 in bergen norway his parents were engineers and oil company employees and for a bit they lived in iraq there they were oil company employees in iraq oh yeah 
So whatever he did, he's still going to be a better person than either of his parents. Yeah, that 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 is true. Uh, in terms it, of total body count, he will have in done terms less of total damage. Although I I think you can. Yeah, I, I think the damage to a lot of impressionable minds that 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 NSBM National Socialist Black Metal has done is pretty goddamn bad, mm-hmm. and uh, Vikerns is still very much active in the Vlogo sphere. Mm. So, uh, so he one day may kill six hundred thousand people in may, Iraq in the space of twenty years. Yeah, this is. <laughs> yeah, I, it it's all. It's bad. Uh, I think his parents were his his dad at least was bad worse for a different reason that we'll get to in a moment here. Um so they lived in Iraq. There, Vikern's claimed to uh quote become aware of racial matters when he hurled mm. slurs at teachers and fellow students, and he also notes that he was lonely. <laughs> strange, right? Isn't that what strange? A, what a weird coincidence. Yeah, it's so it's weird. Uh after returning to Bergen, Vikerns, and a lot of this comes from interviews with him, who and he is a very self-aggrandizing and, uh, I argue, not trustworthy at all. Uh, he claims that his fa- father had a swastika flag in their flat and hated minorities, but he was worried that his son would grow up to become a Nazi. <laughs> <laughs> so... Vikerns uh, may or may not have been involved in neo-Nazi groups, but claims... Uh, that there were no Nazi neo-Nazis in Bergen. This is unlikely because Scandinavia has a huge Nazi problem. And broadly speaking, when someone claims there are no blank blank, they're covering up the fact that there are a ton of blanks. So, uh, you know, I, I think it's, it's a, it's a something to note that the guy's argument for, well, I couldn't have been a neo-Nazi because there were no neo-Nazis. Hmm. Is not a compelling argument. No, it's very similar to that PragerU thing of like, no one's in the clan anymore. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's almost like they get the same talking points across the board. Yeah. Real strange. Yeah. Real weird. Real, real weird. <laughs> so anyway, uh, he got into music. He found black metal courtesy of Venom's black metal album. Uh, he does claim to dislike Venom. He expresses regret that he ever wore their shirts which may be the dumbest, most posturing metalhead regret in the world. Uh, once in that scene, he did what any good metalhead teenager would do. He picked up a guitar and started projects. He started his career with the band Old Funeral, then started a one-man project called Burzum, and then played guitar on a couple of Mayhem albums. During his time in the Norwegian black metal scene, Vikern set fire to culturally important churches and then stabbed Mayhem's leader, Euronymous, 23 times to death outside his flat. Holy shit. Yeah, it was bad. Uh, there's that Lords of Chaos film goes into it, like why it happened a little more. And it's probably not the best source out there. But like the 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 crux of the matter is uh, like there was a, 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 a an argument, shall we say, between the two of them about royalties and uh so if I, you know, if I can stab the guy to death, uh, it, it, he claims that he was acting in defense because Euronymous said that he was going to kill the current. So really it was in self-defense. But yeah, I think like once you stab someone 23 times, it's probably yeah. not self-defense yeah. and just the, rage. 
you get five stabs or less. You get five stabs or less. Yeah. After that, mm, no, that's <laughs> that's murder. Once your stabbing <laughs> takes like an amount of time where people could like watch you stab a guy, be like, "Wow, he's really stabbing that yep. guy." Lose their shock and then be shocked again that you're still stabbing the guy. Yeah. That's when it's no longer self-defense. Exactly. And, you know, I think it goes to uh, what we talked about in the first episode of uh, Gaul bleeding a man for eight days. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, at a certain point, that ceases to become self-defense. I kidnapped and bled that man in my apartment <laughs> for self-defense. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> that's uh, again, <laughs> as, as we said uh, in that first episode, it's like that John Waters line uh condone first degree murder advocate (laughs) yeah yeah eat shit advocate cannibalism same thing same thing (sighs) yeah so during his time and that he did all that stuff and then uh at following the murder he served time in prison following that the currents became a vlogger under the uh, youtube channel name thulian perspective he married Ooh. a French woman, moved to France, created a tabletop role-playing game, and occasionally puts out music today. Created he, a tabletop role-playing game? Yes, it's called Mythic Fantasy Role-Playing Game, I think. That's it, a horrible name. Yeah, uh, it, it, he strikes me as one of those nerds who's like, D&D 5th edition just streamlines everything too much. The only <laughs> true role-playing game is Pathfinder 1st edition. Oh, I need to do rolls for the each individual arrow to see how much damage they do. <laughs> he would not be a fan of uh, the 2D20 dune system that we're playing no no he would hate that he would he seems like one of those people who rants on twitter about the fact that the races in D are definitely different and you can't change <laughs> that <laughs> which was a glorious discussion i witnessed on I, far right twitter one time oh no all right we're gonna put we're gonna put the metal on pause you're gonna tell me about this oh so like i forget wizards of the coast or something came out and were like so races like we get that like saying there are different races in this world that are all like different with different innate characteristics might be like a little problematic and that was pretty much it and oh, right-wing okay. twitter <laughs> lost their fucking mind <laughs> i so vikerns is a huge tweeter nice. so i, I bet I, he had I, an opinion i am sure he is like in mythic fantasy role playing this is not an issue the only thing you can be is true pagan. <laughs> don't take away my hobbits. Yeah, don't you take away my halflings. There, <laughs> there is a there, there's a cool like take on that whole thing that I uh, a friend of mine sent me a while ago. That's like you choose a culture and an ancestry, and uh, it, it tries to minimize all of that. Hmm. Michigas as much as it can. It's pretty cool. So you can have like a tiefling who grew up around dwarves. So you get benefits from the dwarves and that's cool. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that whole, it's one of the reasons I, I don't really like uh, fantasy stuff because they really lean heavy on races instead of just calling them species. Like you get in like sci-fi games. Like, yeah, if you want to be a spe- like the rat species in uh, what is it? Starfinder, I think mm. then it's a distinct thing and they yeah. do they're different they're species 
Well, Aaron, if we don't really hammer on races, how are we going to have nebulously evil men from the East? That's true. We we need to be worried about the Easterlings <laughs> yeah. and, and the men of Numenor who are... <laughs> By virtue of of the of the pallor and swarthiness of their skins, evil. <laughs> oh, why are those books so good? When he was such yeah, yeah. a absurd, absurdly yeah. Anglo fascist, yeah, dude. Well, this is now a podcast where we talk about tabletop role playing. <laughs> yeah, the inevitable pivot into either a true crime podcast like last episode or a tabletop role playing game podcast in this episode. The only two true genres. Exactly. Everything else just falls by the wayside. Mm, yep. Ah, oh, boy. Anyway, uh, in addition to all that stuff, by Kearns, who we were talking about. He also uh, was the opinion of the opinion that Anders Breivik, the guy who uh, you know did a mass murder, uh, did not go far enough, and that he was a Christian loser. Oh, good lord! Yeah, Vikerns currently goes by Louis Cachet. In addition to all of that, Vikerns is a big old believer in that return of the forest thing that Younger wrote about. For Vikerns, that means embracing quote paganism. Robert. Are you ready to learn about Vikern's thoughts on what paganism means? I'm sure it's going to be life-changing. Are you are you stoked to learn yeah. how that ties back to Avola's essentially mythic homogeneity of the component primordial cultures? Yep, I'm, I'm very I'm, excited to become a pagan in the next I'm 30 seconds. So glad that you said that. And <laughs> for what it's worth, I am going to a pagan festival tomorrow night. To rip, I don't know how it's pronounced, some hain, I think. Uh, so that's going to be fun. I'm looking forward to that. You're going to return to the forest tomorrow I'm going to return to the forest tomorrow night. Nice. Yeah. Uh, So, hey, we got quotes. Uh, So another thing, this is Vikerns writing in his blog. Uh, Another thing that is probably a, a, a I'm going to try to do a little bit of a voice for him. I I feel like Norwegians are a group that we can mock. Yeah. I'm going to go with it. Another thing that is probably a problem to these dirty, filthy, ganja-smoking Free love hippies who call themselves pagans <laughs> and also claim to perform pagan rites is that white also means innocent. The ancient pagans claimed that no, that one should not bring anything impure to the beard. And uh, <laughs> beard is a nebulously, nebulously defined term uh, that you get from like old Norse myth. Uh, from what I know, beard just kind of means like the general community or like the 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 sense of human brotherhood kind of thing uh but that's not what it means to 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 nazis uh impure into the weird so only virgins and married women who have never been with any other men than their husbands were allowed to practice the customs further only women and men with fair eyes it est blue green or green eyes were allowed to enter the hall of the odin this is not something I just make up because I am a quote vile racist into something very clearly in the Norse mythology that only people of Jarl's kin are own, allowed to enter Valhalla, the hall of Odin. You God, can, what a loser. <laughs> you can, however, easily be a pagan with brown eyes or a pagan who is not innocent, but if so, you cannot practice the customs or sing magic songs in this life. And this only makes up a small part of paganism anyhow. <laughs> Therefore, you simply have to wait until the next life before you can live up to the required moral and genetic standards. <laughs> Maybe you will not live up to these standards until the life after the next life. 
even if some Europeans are a bit polluted genetically, so to speak, and have brown eyes, for instance, that is something that can be solved by a few generations of race hygiene. Oh my god, race hygiene? Race hygiene. I am not only talking about Scandinavia and the Scandinavian people, or only about the Scandinavian version of the ancient religion. All Europeans, and I'm, I'm kind of consolidating a couple of, rand, of like rambling paragraphs here, all Europeans from Scotland to Greece are all European aborigines of Jarl's kin, and we all once practiced this ancient religion. Has he seen Greek people? Uh, well, you know, probably, probably not. Well, <laughs> I, I think his thing would be that they are polluted genetically and we're not the way that they were at the, at the start. That would be my guess without having uh, looked at that mm. question from Vikerns' point of view, because there's only so much liquor in the world. <laughs> yeah. There's so many yikes in that paragraph. There's so many yikes. And uh, if memory recalls, our our, our friend uh, Curran is up on like the Edos and that kind of stuff. So I would be interested in what he has to say on this. And like I did a little bit of reading. We'll get into that. Hold on. Getting ahead of myself. Uh, yeah, so many yikes in that paragraph. <laughs> um, and I think it is astounding. Uh, in a lot of different ways, uh, it, it it all ties back to the Reich. We'll get to that in a bit, but uh, it it's wonderful because the Vikings, you know, they had their they had their thing. But one of their one of the great things about the Vikings was they did not care, and they were like, if you can swing a sword or row a boat, then we'll take you in, probably as a slave. But hey, you might get out of that status. And uh, yeah, there's a great book that I like and recommend to everyone called the long ships and it's a swedish book from the 50s about a guy named orm who gets uh captured by vikings and rises to become a jarl in his own right but it kind of it, it shows like how wide these guys arranged so like a chunk of the book takes place in uh i guess it would be portugal today but it was under uh, the caliphate and uh, talks about like how you know mobile these guys were and how much interaction they had and like the makeups of their crews and it was not the pure race it was not the kin of Jarl. Good lord, <laughs> you can just like you created a tabletop RPG. You can just <laughs> play a tabletop RPG, dude. Like just get together with your friends on Friday nights and sing the magic songs. Like it doesn't have to be more than that. You weirdo. <laughs> oh god i i love that the sing the magic song <laughs> yeah. I, I think that's what i uh whenever i'm talking to a rabbi next i'll say like hey maybe could we change the name of what we call prayers to magic songs <laughs> yeah, that, <laughs> that that would that would spice up yum kippur services a bit more <laughs> so i've got a branding idea for the yeah. <laughs> For this whole Old Testament thing. It's like furiously pounding a bottle of Jack Daniels. Just like, I got an idea. <laughs> furiously pounding a whole bottle of Menachev. Yes, there you go. That's much better. <laughs> and just dying immediately from sugar overdose. <laughs> uh, so that was a lot. Yep. Uh, what he's doing there is a few different things. One, he's tying the idea of Valhalla to purity and whiteness. Two, he's outright tying that to living up to genetic standards. And three, 
he's attempting to pull off the idea that there was an Ur-Paganism, a single religion from which the Norse, Greek, Celtic, and Slavic pagan religions came from. Now, I don't claim to be an expert, but I do apply what I call the David Letterman test to this. The David Letterman test is when I'm not an expert, but I know enough to know that the guy talking is slinging bullshit to try and make a political point. The basis from which we can assume this is wrong is that while it is possible, maybe even probable, that all of these faiths came from a single source, that source was likely an Indo-European source with its roots in the original peoples who migrated into Europe in that great course of human migrations. Chances are, these people were not white, unless you want to stretch the bounds of what white is, but doing that is not exactly pure. When it comes to the whole Odinism thing, I'm not sure. and. I guess the proper word is a satru. Uh, I've read the, uh, the Edos, but it's been a long time. I recall a lot of the Edos being focused on the exploits of the gods amongst themselves and against the giants, elves, and dark elves, but not so much dealing with humans aside from a few things here and there, like finding people in a tree and them being in the tree during Ragnarok. I certainly did not walk away from reading the Edos with a drive to join a bunch of Nazis. What reading the Edos gave me instead was a deep appreciation for the bands Amon, Amon, Arth, and Tyr. Now, do you care to guess where this thought, this attempt to tie purity and whiteness to the Vikings comes from? Oh, God, it's got to be like <coughs> that early Anthroposophist thing. More directly, it's the Third Reich. Oh, nice. It, yeah, it's the Nazis. It's yeah. always the Nazis. It's like, it's like those early Nazis, the the pre-long knives Nazis. Yeah, the the weird occult dudes. The Nazis the, before they sold out and went mainstream. Exactly. The 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 occult guys that like even after the long, night of long knives, Hitler just kind of tried to shove into a warehouse like yeah. the Ark of the of the Covenant. <laughs> just be like, put them in a box. Yep. They're too weird even for us. Um. Mm. So there's a lot of literature about there and maybe we'll go into it in more detail but it's the nazis those occult obsessed well-dressed rune enthusiasts but let's not allow ourselves to get sidetracked by talking about runes no we're going to talk about something equally batshit which vikerns is so a big fan of thool hell yeah do you know what thool is fuck yes i do tell us what thool is as i understand it's like this weird uh essentially mystical grift i know i know more about uh, are we talking about like the tula society yeah i guess it's tula yeah 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 i i say thule because uh fuck them but it's, yeah it sounds it's, way it's cooler tula. it sounds like something from zardoz to say thule <laughs> <laughs> and they'd have hated zardoz so. they would have hated zardoz <laughs> oh yeah because they have no soul <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so it's there's a great account by one of the early Nazis of like seeing the farty mess that Hitler was giving a speech in a beer <laughs> hall and thinking he was like this white messiah is predicted by the Thule Society manuscripts. Uh, so it, it's named after a place, uh, the, the Thule Tula Society. Uh, for a lot of the esoteric fascists out there, the ones who are the uh, real rune enthusiasts, it is the homeland of the Aryans. They also call it Hyperborea. Uh, now, that should sound familiar if you're a fan of Conan the Barbarian. Uh, Conan the Barbarian 
of course, written by a man whose uh, racial ideas were, shall we say, problematic. Uh, was Are you going to take Conan from me right now? Dude, the original Ed- Edgar Rice Burroughs. He wrote Conan? Yeah. Yeah. I'm pre- uh, let me fact check myself here. Yeah, he, uh, Robert E. Howard, not, not Burroughs. Sorry, Robert E. Howard, not mm-hmm. Burroughs. Uh, the, the guys with the three names always, always yep. confuse me. Robert E. Howard was the guy who wrote Conan the Barbarian. Uh, he was a, a big, big, big friend of Lovecraft. Oh, and, nice. Uh, yeah. They got along. Yeah, they got along partly because of the whole racist stuff. Mm-hmm. But yeah, he, he shortened the name to Hyboria, I think. So if you watch Conan the Barbarian, the original one, not the one with Jason Momoa, which you should never watch because that will drive you mad. Uh, it, it starts off with like a Conan from the land of Hyboria, the Hyborian era <laughs> kind of thing. Um, so it's a shortening of Hyperborea. Ah, uh, boy. Anyway, so that term comes from Greek and Roman historians who were, as we all know, the most accurate and discerning of human beings. In order, in order to join the Nazis' Tula Society, folks had to sign a statement reading, the signer hereby swears to the best of his knowledge and belief that no Jewish or colored blood flows in either his or in his wife's veins, and that among their ancestors are no members of the colored races. Good Lord. Without going into more details, it's basically Wolfenstein. Uh, General Deathshead would have been all about the Tula Society, and he probably was. Um, well... Where this comes into play with what we're talking about is A, the fixation of the esoteric Nazi movement on this mythical homeland, B, the idea of a purity-driven movement, C, by Kearns's continued use of Thule and Tula in his blogs, YouTube channels, tabletop role-playing games, which again is called Mythic Fantasy Role-Playing Game, uh, D, the absurd amount of runes and metal, and E, it is so, so exhausting knowing about all of this stuff. I wish I could be a normal human being who did not know this stuff. Tune into but our I'm podcast not. next week where we start playing mythic fantasy role-playing game every week. I kind of want to. Like, I'm, <laughs> I'm curious as to how this thing plays, you know? Like, <laughs> I don't want to buy it, obviously. While Aaron and I try to create the master race. <laughs> If you if you play anyone who is not like Norse, you have a significant disadvantage. Yeah, disadvantage on all attack rolls for being Jewish. Yeah. D- disadvantage to attack, knowledge, <laughs> that charisma, anything like that. Uh, so anyway, this is about metal. This is not a biography of Vikernes. We're not going to go into his odd ideas about COVID, him calling Anders Breivik a loser Christian, or any of that other stuff. We are, though, going to talk about Burzum and the metal scene. If you go into a metal uh, record store that has a decent metal collection, you're going to see a Burzum record or two. If you saw The Color Out of Space with Nick Cage, you've heard Burzum. What? It's in that movie. Uh, his daughter, the, the kind of gothy chick, is listening to Burzum on her uh, iPad and, or uh, iPhone or whatever. Massively underrated movie. <laughs> it's fucking fantastic. Uh, so, I mean, you know, does that mean that the record store and the director of the film support by Kearns' ideas of racialism? No, probably not. But this is something that has to be struggled with. Uh, broader society runs into this whenever an artist is shown to be a reprehensible human being. But I don't know 
people who have their head more on a swivel than metalheads trying to suss out the politics of a new band. You see, the genetic makeup of metal is attractive to the right wing. Myth, occult, aggressive music, and an overtly countercultural aesthetic are as much of a draw as punk music. And indeed, punk has its own problem with oi, knuckleheads, and assholes who try to give a Nazi salute on stage at a Dropkick Murphys show before the bassist beats the shit out of them. The trick is that metal often seems to be less willing to confront this stuff, which is a huge bummer. Sure, you have bands like Napalm Death who work their cover of Nazi punk's fuck off into their shows, or Bolt Thrower, who had a long history of getting into brutal drag-out fights with Nazis. But there's an eerie silence in the scene when it comes to calling out far-right leanings. Just consider Sodom's response to fans urging them to cancel their appearance at a festival. Rather than state, yeah, we don't want to play with Nazis because they're fucking Nazis, they chose to complain about politically correct bands and their fans being political. So for every band with names like Race War, Totenkampf, Final Solution, Jew Slaughter, Legion 88, Conquista 88, or Angry Aryans, those are all real band names. Oh, God. You have more mainstream metal groups. Yeah. You've hit me with a few lists of names in this that have just like, it's whatever the opposite of pornography is. (laughs) Yeah, uh, those are bad. Yeah, those are bad. Very, very bad. Conquista 88 is both like subtle and bad. Like you wouldn't know if you didn't know. Well, that followed Legion 88 too. And that one just sounds like, oh, maybe they're into Star Wars. Yeah, that's true. That does sound kind of Star Warsy. Yeah. No, it's not. It's Nazis. Yep. (sighs) Um, Yeah. So, yeah, bad lists. (laughs) Uh, So, with every band that's like that, you have more mainstream metal groups that harbor shit like Phil and Selmo of pantera throwing up a nazi salute on stage this shit is everywhere in the scene despite people like gall the guy who uh, bled someone for eight days claiming that metal is the most welcoming community and that it has no prejudices <laughs> yeah that's always the phrase to look out for yeah we have no no one who is judgmental everyone is welcoming as he's actively hanging a man like a side of beef and bleeding him <laughs> yeah. into a bucket. It, he's such a, like a, uh, he's a character study, Gaul <laughs> is. He, he's a gay man who came out like relatively recently. Wow. Uh, and an artist and like he's, he's, he's very like a, a, a compelling, you know, speaker. And he comes across like a guy. Yeah. You don't want to fuck with this guy, but he doesn't seem like a psycho. <laughs> But then it's like, yeah, he bled a guy for eight days. <laughs> so it, it's strange. That is odd. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so while the metal community is by and large friendly, it has the drawback of being filled with a bunch of nerds. And speaking as a nerd, we are not confrontational people. It takes a lot to break through that barrier. But my fellow metalheads and nerds, I implore you, if you see Nazis, do something. Even if that's just telling your friends that a band is sketch and they shouldn't support them with their time or their money. See, there's a forum on the interwebs, and it's called the Black Vault, where the Nazi metalheads go to play. Their subtitle, you want to guess what their subtitle is? Oh, God. I'm sure it's so much worse than I can even imagine. You, I think you might be surprised. Really? Yeah. It, it, well, it, in one way. Is it, it like it, where everyone's welcome or something? No, 
no, no, no, no, no. Uh, it is called all right. So the subtitle is Hate Preserved. Oh God. <laughs> Not the angle you thought it was gonna be, did you? Oh no, uh, that's yeah, horrible, right? Yeah. I I spent uh some time in January devoting some time uh going like making a sock puppet account on that site, browsing through. And my goal was to see if I could spot any bands that were like listed on Bandcamp and on there, and then report it to Bandcamp because they're usually good about taking this shit down. Right. Um, and then I quickly abandoned that idea because it's a deep, dark place that is very bad. In <laughs> um, that site, you will find threads about how National Socialist Black Metal releases uh, poetry critiques. And uh, let's see what else. Surely highbrow discussions about the Israel-Palestine conflict. And oh, what's this? I'm, I'm just I'm just scrolling through the forum pages, and I see something interesting. What is this? I'm just gonna click, and then I'm gonna gonna tap into my. Uh, yep. Just yeah, hold on. I have to uh, speak a command into my computer. Computer, enlarge, enhance. <laughs> yes, it's it, it is. It's what I thought. Nazis shitting on Varg for not being Nazi enough. Hell yeah, the best <sighs> genre of Nazi it, discussion. It, it is. It's that's the prime discourse that we all come here for. <laughs> so all of this leads us into our final section in this bleak trapes. How do we deal with this? In the midst of the threads on the Black Vault, you'll find another topic that keeps popping up called Who is Still Selling? That question should hopefully give you some hope. The unstated fact of that question is that while there will always be Nazis slithering around in the recesses of the scene, there are enough people out there keeping an eye out for them that it becomes hard for those bands to sell on popular storefronts like Bandcamp. Of course, Amazon still lists bands like Screwdriver because they're Amazon and Amazon exists in a world where morality is a nice to have. Do you know, <laughs> do you know who Screwdriver were? I do not. Okay. Screwdriver were a uh, Nazi oi band. Oi is a subgenre of punk uh, that were really heavy on uh, like English fascism and uh, bad shit. Not good. But there is a band. There was a band in Memphis called Negro Terror, and uh, they were fantastic. The guy Omar was a good dude. Uh, died a few years ago. Rest in peace, Omar. Uh, and they did a cover of that song called Voice of Memphis. And I would like to think that the members of Screwdriver are very upset knowing that a uh, an all-black punk band in Memphis covered their song nice. and made it about a city that go that gets together because of uh their 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 pride in being a black focused city. Dang. That's a cool cover. Yeah, it's a good cover. And like the album's pretty damn solid. And nice. they got a good video that's like shot in a skate park. It's just really cool. Uh, listen, yeah, so go listen to Negro Terror. Good shit. Uh, so that's a nice, that's, that's one way. Starve out the Nazi scene, remove out their oxygen, record sales, and keep them confined to their backwaters, and hopefully they fade away. The catch, though, is that this leads to dog whistles, like fash bands referring to themselves as apolitical, as outlined in Shkostov's article that we talked about last episode. That is not to say any band that doesn't go into political theory in their songs is a fascist band, but it is something to watch out for. So what do you do, metalheads? Do you renounce the mosh pit and start listening to fucking Beirut or Vampire Weekend or some bullshit? No, 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 no. Of course not. You check out Red Anarchist Black Metal groups. 
or you listen to bands like Bolt Thrower. You stop listening to racist bands, and you talk to your friends about the scene. Keep an eye out for the knuckleheads among us and be ready to have serious conversations about this thing. Also, burn your Iced Earth records because John Schaefer took part in the January 6th push. Uh, Iced Earth is a power thrash metal band that I used to like, uh, and their lead singer was photographed uh, breaking his way into the Capitol building with all the other Nazis. Nice. So yeah, I melted those CDs that I still had. Uh, To close this out, though, I'd like us to think about two questions. The first is, when does it become impossible to separate the art from the artist? And the second is post, uh, posed by a French musician named Eric Roger. It's probably Roger. Uh, quoted in Shkostov's piece. It's inspired by a recent kerfuffle involving a black metal festival in Finland that I've talked about before that had a whole slew of Nazi bands signed up to play and a whole lot of decidedly not Nazi bands also signed up to play. The quote goes like this. If we, I mean the bands who are against the right-wing ideology, categorically refuse to play at the festivals that feature right-wing bands, do we not give them more space? In this case, our withdrawal would only help them them propagate their, their ideology. Isn't it nonsense? Isn't it better to stay in order to affirm our opposition? But if I say that, isn't it somewhat hypocritical? Isn't it a sort of compromising? Isn't it an excuse we find to accept our tolerance, the same tolerance we loudly condemn in other cases? At the same time, I really and deeply think that it's important that we stay and that we don't leave an empty place to the right-wingers. And that, I think, is a broader topic and one that we've all had to wrestle with in various spaces. So what do? What do? As a, I don't know, I um, am a fan of the self SM video game League of Legends. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Where, where you do both a sadism and a masochism on your own brain. Yeah. <laughs> um, I had this really interesting interaction the other day where we just like crushed this guy and he hopped in all chat as people sometimes do on the onlines. Uh-huh. And he said, my team just lost because they're a bunch of SJW cucks. <laughs> being, <laughs> be, being a calm and measured soul like uh, I am, I immediately hopped into all chat myself and was like, I beat you and I'm an SJW cuck. <laughs> Good. And I'm sure this was well received. Yeah. He proceeded to lose his fucking mind and posted <laughs> like a straight 50 messages to the whole community about like how he hated the gays and the queers and cancel culture and how he was going to get chat banned for saying the n-word but he's going to say it anyway and i think that like (laughs) this i I was i've been stuck on that moment because like these people are fucking losers yeah yeah there are so few of them that when actually confronted, like they're the real snowflakes here. Yeah. And, I, you know, we've seen it time and time again, and it happened recently in Redacted where there, there was a, a, a fash rally that was planned to be in downtown Redacted. And then the anti-fascist community showed up and they moved their rally to a, a an abandoned Kmart. 
and then poor choices were made and things escalated but no I, I mean you're right like there are so few of them and they do back down real quick whenever there is any sort of like numeric even parody yeah. in numbers um but I, I i think one of the things that i thought about a lot when i was working on this is how the punk scene is by most measures really good about like stomping the shit out mm-hmm. and people are much more on the ball with it like to the point to an absurd point uh in a lot of cases where like there there's this apparently it's like floating around tiktok uh where like young punks are concerned about lace code and lace code if you don't know is like the color of your laces on doc martens says something about who you are so like if if you have a certain color that means you're a nazi and i mean that that no one gives a shit about this like i don't think it's from what i know it has not been a thing outside of la since the 70s and uh it's turned into this fucking stupid bullshit but it it does go to an extent of showing that at least the punk community is willing to like react and say get the fuck out now Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, you again, like you see it in metal with some bands like Bolt Thrower, uh, who are no longer active, but like their lead singer is still doing this stuff. Uh, and then Napalm Death and a few others that are overtly anti-fascist. But it, it's just, yeah, they're, they're, it, people get sucked into the whole apolitical thing. And I think part of it is metal gets really into deeply nerdy shit. And uh, the, the the real deep nerds among us are like, I just want to go to a show and I don't really want to confront reality. I want to pretend like I'm I'm in a, a, a Tolkien land that's dark and gritty, which is fair. But yeah, I mean, I guess I just wonder to like what extent we can expect people to overcome that feeling. Like, is that a realistic yeah. thing? I think everyone has a breaking point where they can no longer ignore it. Uh, it's different for everyone. And I, I think it that it's what I, it was kind of buried in my, my rambling. But I think it is important for everyone who is like a metal fan to like point out this stuff to their friends. Like I, I got a buddy who's uh, been out with me at Redacted a couple of times. And uh, he was pointing out, like, he was sending me a link to a, a new video of a new band that he that he found and i was like this this name seems a little sketch so like i googled it and yeah a couple of them were like nazis in the band i was like sketch band and he goes fuck <laughs> like yeah dude sorry you gotta keep uh, keep an eye out for this though <laughs> i think that like threshold thing is really interesting because like yeah. i think actively working to lower your own threshold is a really important part of all this, like yeah. being willing to go to bat over shit that seems pettier and pettier when it involves Nazism. Yeah. Is like hard to do, but also important. Yeah. And it gets more and more important every day. <laughs> oh, yep. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And I think it goes back to that thing last episode. I think we were talking about like Joe Rogan and how like four or five years ago, I was like, this is going to be really bad. And everyone yeah. was like, you're a fucking asshole. And it's like, you can tell that there's yeah. like that little discomfort and just yeah. acting on that immediately as much as you can actually might save lives someday. Yeah. 
I mean, it directly so, especially like metal uh, and like punk yeah. venues where you get skinheads who go to a show and then follow like a, a black guy outside and like try to beat him to death. Like, yeah, you you removing those people from the scene saves lives. Yeah, and uh, there's like this thread I saw somewhere a while ago about like this journalist who listened to punk and was going to a punk uh, bar, and he was sitting at the bar and it was like dead inside. And, uh, you know, it was afternoon and the bartender's there just like cleaning a, a glass or something. And the skinhead comes in and he's got like Nazi patches. So the bar, the bartender like kicks him out. <laughs> and, uh, the guy like goes, Oh, what? I'm just here for a drink. And the guy goes, I don't give a fuck. Get the fuck out now. <laughs> so he kicks the guy out and the guy's like, Oh, that was, that was impressive. And he goes, I don't want to deal with any fucking Nazis because the moment you show them any sort of politeness, they're going to bring their friends at your bar and then their friends are going to bring their friends. And then suddenly you have a Nazi bar situation. Yeah. And I, that's dead on. you got to be like that bartender. Yeah. Cause like, if you are a Nazi bar, whether you're political or not, that is like yeah. where the Nazism is happening. Like yeah. actual Nazism was created in beer halls in Germany. Yeah. It was just exactly. people shooting the shit and drinking. And that's true of like concerts and mm-hmm. anywhere in the whole fucking world. So, uh, yeah, I hope you enjoyed this, this, this wonderful, pleasant journey through metal. Listen to pet, listen to Panopticon. Panopticon is a very good, uh, good black metal band. Uh, they put out a record a while ago called Kentucky that was focused on coal miners trying to unionize. That's dope. Yeah, had good like samples from like people who were involved in the unions talking about how they were like beaten by uh beaten by the bosses and like threatened with hell by parishioner or uh, priests and uh, woods wizards. Woods wizards. That's that's what we call priests in my in my apartment. Yeah. We call them woods wizards. In Tennessee. <laughs> yeah. Y'all, y'all got you one of them good wiz- <laughs> woods wizards. Y'all woods going down wizard. there on Sunday, get that <laughs> communion from the woods wizard. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, tune in next week when we play a mythic fantasy role playing game. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I will open up Which the PDF is, and my computer will explode. It is actually the acronym for it is my farag, my farg. My, I think it's my farg. I, I don't. It's it's bad. The Amazon reviews are the most hilarious thing I've ever seen. Oh, you got to re- close this out with these Amazon reviews. Oh, God. Um, let's find a good one here. It runs around 220 pages. There isn't much artwork in it. The game is very <laughs> niche. <laughs> if you want to role play in a fantasy version of the pre-Christian Iron Age of Norway, then this is definitely the game for you. Five stars. Oh god. <laughs> oh, so good. Uh, I mean, I would advocate for people just to play Crusader Kings 3. That's yeah. very fun. <laughs> That's a good one. Yeah, I've got a big Satru Empire in Eastern Europe, and I'm god damn it, I'm not allowing those Christians in. The the uh, hardcover reviews are better. The best one starts with all the controversy and crybaby reviews finally influenced me to buy this. <laughs> I'm glad I did. Please note this review is written after a few cursory readings of the book. Cursory readings. 
I've flipped through and I have not actually played the game. <laughs> so good. Hey. Oh, genius. Well, I've been Aaron Simon. And I've been Robert Sharkey. Goodbye.